Well, good morning and uh, welcome back. Uh, my name is Tim and um, we're uh, looking right now in a series of, que of uh, questions that Jesus asked. Um, I don't know what uh, question you're interested in, but if you see a question that Jesus has been asking in the scriptures, text us or email us and uh, hopefully maybe we can cover one of those questions. You know, Jesus has been called the answer man, but you know, when you look at his life closely, you find that he was also a man of questions. In fact, he asks a lot more questions than people gave to him. And so, uh, for example, he, he asked 307 questions in the New Testament. That means that Jesus was 40 times more likely to ask a question than to answer a question. And so Luke, when he records uh, about the life of Christ, he it's early on we see that Jesus is a, is a man full of questions. Here in Luke 2 it says, After three days they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. It's been said that Jesus Christ asked more questions than Socrates. Now why does he ask so many questions? Why is Jesus uh, asking question after question to a crowd or to his disciples? Uh, or to uh, Pharisees or people in the temple. Well, part of it might be because of his culture, because the Jewish culture was known to teach this way. They would teach through questions. But I believe Jesus also knew the power of a question. And last week we looked at that, the power of a question. I think Jesus knew that questions make us think and they draw us in. And uh, they can lead to changing our lives. Now today I want to look at a very challenging question that Jesus uh, asked a crowd of people. It may be the most challenging of all. It's found in Luke 6. And uh, before we look at this question, I want to give you the setting. Uh, it's, this is found in verse 17 of this chapter. It says, And he came down with them and stood in the plain, and the company of his disciples, and a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem, and from the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. So we get this idea of people are coming to Jesus. And I, I notice that they're coming to hear him and to find healing. But this is not uh, like Matthew 7, where there's a group of people that have come and uh, Jesus is preaching. They call it the Sermon on the Mount. Now, this one is in a different place. It's been called the Sermon on the Plain. And it's almost like Jesus is recycling an old sermon. He's repeating a sermon. It's possible. Um, it's that good. So and he's got a different crowd. He's decided to cover it as well. And in this Sermon on the Plain, he's covering the Beatitudes. He covers things like love and mercy, generosity, he talks about judging people, you know, pulling the plank out of your own eye to see the speck in your brothers. He talks about people like trees and he talks about their fruit and how you can know people like a tree by their fruit. And then, as if to wrap up his sermon, he asks this challenging question found in verse 46. He simply asks, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say? Wow, what a question, huh? I mean, do you do what Jesus says? It's a good question. I asked somebody this uh, week, I said, do you always do what Jesus says? He goes, huh, you're asking the wrong guy. <laughs> I 
I mean, ask yourself this. Did I obey Jesus this week? I mean, are there some situations or are there some areas in my life where I disobey? I mean, do I, do I obey Jesus all the time? And if not, is it most of the time? Is it half the time? I mean, honestly, if we, if we could be honest, wouldn't we admit that uh, there are times when we don't do what Jesus says? Sure. And why? Why is it so hard to do what Jesus says? Why do we fail to do what he says? Well, let me give you eight reasons. There's several, but I want to give you eight. Let's look at these right now. First one's fear. The reason I don't obey Jesus sometimes is because I'm just flat out afraid. We read a story about uh, King Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 15. And God has told him that he's to destroy the Amalekites. They're an evil people. And he says, I want you to kill them all and kill all their livestock. I, I don't want anything... Um, anything to be alive. And you find Saul, he goes and he, he defeats the Amalekites, but they keep the best cattle and they keep the best, best sheep. And uh, Samuel catches wind of this. God tells him, listen, you need to go talk to Saul. I'm very, very upset with him. And in 1 Samuel 15, Samuel comes up to Saul and begins to go, you know, what's going on? And, and Saul says, hey, uh, it's good to see you. I did what the Lord assigned. And Samuel would say to him and ask him a question, then why am I hearing sheep? Where's that coming from? And Saul answered, well, because we, we killed everybody. Well, actually, he didn't kill the king either. Uh, we wiped everything out, except we kept the, the king and we kept the good stuff. We kept the good, the, the, the healthiest uh, cows and bulls and we kept, kept the health, healthiest sheep because we could sacrifice him to God. And Samuel says, but you didn't do what God said. And, and Saul argues, but I did obey. I did. He goes, no, you didn't. And because of that, Saul would lose um, his kingdom. He would lose his uh, position as king over Israel. And look what Saul's, here's Saul's response in 1 Samuel 15. He realized he's messed up and he says, I've sinned, Saul admitted. I disobeyed both you and the Lord. I was afraid of the army, and I listened to them instead. And that's what fear does, a fear of people, what people think, what will people do to me if I obey the Lord? If I really were to do everything God said, what would happen to me? What would be the consequences? What's it going to cost me? And, and, it's, and it's this fear, this anxiety sometimes that keeps us from obeying Jesus. Another one's laziness. People are just lazy. Uh, it's... They, they just won't do God's word because they won't get, get up and do it. Here's what it says in Proverbs 15. For lazy people, life is a path overgrown with thorns and thistles. For those who do what is right, it is a smooth highway. You know, walking in God's path is very difficult for the lazy. And why is that? Because they refuse to serve. They, re they fail to follow through on their commitment. And, and that that blocks their path, the will of God in their life. And the path that they're following, it's blocked by things like selfishness and excuses. You ever do want to do a study on laziness? Just type in the word sluggard in the NIV, a search engine like on Bible Gateway or studylight.org. And look at how many Proverbs there are. And it describes in detail the way a lazy person is, the way a sluggard is. And one of the things they do is they make lots of excuses and they're very selfish. Here's the third reason we don't obey Christ. 
It's because we're skeptical. The Bible says, he who doubts is thinking two different things at the same time. He cannot decide about anything he does. A person like that should not think that he'll receive anything from the Lord. Over and over, Jesus asks his disciples, many times he'll say, ask him this simple question, why do you doubt? Why do you doubt? And it's because I have these doubts. And why is it so important? Why does Jesus concerned about our doubts? Doubts keep us from doing what he says. And it's these doubts of maybe of God's existence or his wisdom. Like, really? I should do that? Or maybe his power. Would God really come through like that? Or his promise? We have these doubts about these things. And because of these doubts, I question his direction. I hesitate to follow through. My doubts make trusting God very difficult. Here's the fourth reason people don't do what Jesus says. Because they're stubborn. Look at the Bible says here again in Proverbs 28, verse 14. Always obey the Lord and you will be happy. If you're stubborn, you'll be ruined. And Jeremiah says this, God says this to the prophet Jeremiah to the people of Israel. He says, you're very stubborn. And look what it says. And you do only what you want to do. You have not obeyed me. And one of the reasons we don't obey Jesus is because we're hard-headed. Yeah, we're selfish, but we're hard-headed. And pride gets in the way. We become very self-reliant. We say to ourselves, no one is going to tell me what to do. I mean, I was told what to do when I was a kid. Now I'm an adult. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. And that includes God. And it's this stubborn spirit that prevents us sometimes from doing what Jesus says to do. Number five is spiritual distance. You know, uh, I've heard this phrase, distance makes the heart grow fonder. Not always. Not in the case of Jesus. Look at the Bible says here again in Matthew 15. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he says, You are hypocrites. And Isaiah was right when he said this about you. These people show honor to me with words, but their hearts are far from me, distant. I think about an example of, a, of someone who got spiritually distant. I think of Peter, you know, and, and he was following Jesus closely. And then after Gethsemane and the disciples are all scattered, the Bible says this in Luke 22:54. Peter followed Jesus, but stayed back at a distance. And it's on the heels of this statement, this observation, that Peter denies Jesus three times. And so it's this lack of distance. You know, distance makes it harder when I feel spiritually distant, I've not gotten with the Lord. I've not been talking to Him. I've not really been including Him. I'm not talking to His people. I'm not connected with His people. That spiritual distance, when it, finally I get to that point where I'm going to, i got to choose. Am I going to do what Jesus says or not? I'll tell you what it'll do. It leans me toward rebellion and disobedience, not obedience. Number six is ignorance. Sometimes we just don't do what Jesus says because we didn't know. We don't know better. Look here it says here in 1 Peter 1, So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. He didn't know any better then. You know, sometimes again, I, just, I disobeyed Jesus because I just don't, didn't know it was important. I'm ignorant of it. You know, Jesus talks about that. He says, you know, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You know, Apollos in the book of Acts is an example of a guy who it says he taught about Jesus accurately, but he did not know the baptism of Jesus. He only knew the baptism of John. And so a couple by the name of Aquila and Priscilla 
go to the side here and have a side discussion with him. And the Bible says they taught him the way of the Lord or the word of the Lord more adequately. And because that, he, he come out of that uh, moment teaching more vigorously and more boldly about Jesus. You know, new believers, when we're new Christians, we don't know everything when we become a Christian. And there's things we do. We, don't even, we have no idea. We didn't know that God said something about that or God doesn't believe that or doesn't want me to do that. And so as a, new, as, a, as a new believer, we learn, and we learn to obey as we learn. Here's number seven. Number seven is weakness. I simply don't obey Christ because I'm weak. And one time Jesus, Jesus is with his disciples, and in Matthew uh, 26, he's at Gethsemane, and he's praying, and he says to his disciples, to Peter, James, and John, they happen to be the three, would you guys stay watch over here and watch over me while I go and pray? And let's pray that we don't fall into temptation. And, we've, and we know the story. Jesus goes to Gethsemane and he's praying, Lord, you know, is there any way to take this cup from me? But not my will, but yours be done. When he comes back about an hour later, and when he comes back an hour later, the guys are sleeping. And look what it says here in Matthew 26. Then Jesus went back to his followers and found them asleep. He said to Peter, you men could not stay awake with me for an hour. Stay awake and pray for strength against temptation. And then he makes this observation. The spirit wants to do what is right, but the body is weak. Now I want you to know, I'm not trying to make excuses for you or give you excuses. But there's, let's face it, sometimes we just don't obey Jesus because we're weak. We're physically weak. We're just unable to physically do what Jesus says. I remember an old man used to be a part of our congregation, uh, passed away years ago. His name was Warner Besterfeldt. And Warner was, a, was in his late 70s, a um, very quiet man. He had a, a son uh, named William. He had to take care of all the time. William was uh, mentally challenged in some places. And so Warner, as a dad, took care of his son. His, his son is in his 50s, and he's still taking, he was taking care of him. And one day we were inviting people to a Christmas program. And I remember uh, Warner... I saw Warner after we went out to went out to invite some people. We got together to talk about how to go, and he has a big bandaid or a bandage over his forehead where he's gashed his head open. And I said, Warner, what happened? He goes, Well, and he's very quiet. He goes, Well, I took a stack of cards uh, that invited people to church, and I was just handing them out in front of Kmart, and there was some ice, and I slipped and fell, and busted my head open. But I went home, and I cleaned it up and put this bandage on it. And I went back out and, went and invited some people. And I went, oh my word, wow, that's just amazing. You know, I, don't, I didn't expect Warner to be at a work day mowing the grass when the heat index is 100 degrees, of course. I wasn't expecting, I, I, would, I, I know he couldn't do some of that stuff or he, he might not be able to help somebody on the road uh, change a tire because uh, his body was, you don't he could barely do anything physically, um, he was weak, but he had strengths in other areas. And sometimes we're physically weak, we're exhausted, we're tired, we're fatigued, we've not taken care of ourselves, and it limits our ability to do what God wants in our lives. It might be emotional. You ever been like this? You just said, man, I'm just so fragile right now, I just really can't do much. I know God wants me to do this, and I know God would like me to to, to obey here, but I just emotionally, I'm just all over the road right now. Or maybe I'm spiritually weak. I've not gotten with the Lord for a while. I, 
I'm not very close to God, and I just don't feel that the desire, the spiritual desire to do what God wants. Or maybe I'm discouraged. I get discouraged or hurt. And you know, you just get so discouraged and so hurt, and you, and you see the scriptures, and you hear somebody talk about, hey, we're going to do this, or you need to do this in your life, and you just don't have the energy, the spiritual, the emotional, the mental energy. And so you fail to do what God says. You fail to do what Jesus says. I want you to know that's, that's, a, real, that's a real problem for a lot of people. And I, again, I'm not trying to give you an excuse. I, I'm, I have it happen to me as well. And when I have these weaknesses and I recognize I'm weak here, I have to think about how can I strengthen those weaknesses as well? Because they will prevent you from doing the will of God. And number eight is just religious preference. What do you mean? Well, I hold on to a religious or family tradition uh, over God's word. Jesus ran into this again in Matthew 15. He said this to some Pharisees. Why do you refuse to obey God's commands so you can follow your own teachings? There's no Bible principle for it now. There's no place I can find in the Bible that supports this. But I like this, this belief. I like this practice so much. It can't be hurting anybody. It can't be bad. I used to have, believe that all roads lead to heaven. Until the scripture told me, no, there's only one road that leads to heaven. I used, I used to believe a lot of things like that, thinking, well, they're, not, they're harmless, aren't they? I mean, they're just nice. They're my preference. They're not a principle of God. And many times people will hold on to a tradition or a preference so strongly that they'll ignore what God has to say. Now, after, he, after Jesus asked this question, why do you call me Lord and you don't do what I say? He starts talking about building things. He talks, talks about construction uh, he talks. He gives a parable on the wise and foolish builders, and it's because of this story, this parable. He just he's trying to describe what an obedient life is. So how do I build an obedient life? Because that's what this guy he's talking about. He's talking about building a house. How do I build an obedient life? You know, this guy isn't building a fence. He's not building a little table or a chair or something. He's building a house. And of all the major things you can think of in your life that's a big part of your life. It's your house, you got to admit. I've, I've remodeled my house. I've built some buildings. It's a big undertaking. And Jesus says building a life of obedience is like building something as important as a home. Well, how, does that, how, how do we do that? How, how do I build a life of obedience to Jesus? I want to give you two things He reveals here that I can do. First, I trust Jesus as Lord. Again, I trust Him I completely trust Him. I make a decision that He's He's already Lord, but I'm decided He's going to be my Lord. That means He's in charge. You know, this is the biggest decision you'll ever make in your life. It's the biggest one. And if you want to do what Jesus says, this one is, is going to determine a lot. It's going to determine whether you obey Him or whether you don't. Now, why is that? Well, it's because discipleship comes from lordship. It comes down to lordship when you stop and think about it. Jesus said this in Matthew 7, and this is in his Sermon on the Mount. He said, Not everyone who says to me, You are my Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. The only people who will enter the kingdom of heaven are those who do the things that my Father in heaven wants. See the connection? He says discipleship comes from lordship. 
if you really are going to, you want to do what Jesus says, he must be Lord of everything. See, there's a difference. Listen, there's a difference between professing Jesus as Lord and possessing Jesus as Lord. Big difference. You can say it, and I know a lot of people do, but to possess it changes your life. It changes what you do. It changes everything you do. And so Jesus here in Luke 6 says it this way. He goes, I will show you what everyone is like who comes to me. See that? Who comes to me. There's discipleship. And hears my words and obeys. That person is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on rock. Again, here's a guy building a house. And he's looking for the location. Where's the best place? You know, I've heard people say a business secret is location, location, location. They call that rule number one. Well, Jesus agrees in life, location, location, loca location determines the foundation of what you're going to build your life on. Everything. He says everything from this moment on is going to be, it's going to be determined by what you build it on, that foundation. He calls it rock. And so he says, when you come to me, when you're going to, if you're going to come to me, you're going to say, I'm going to be your Lord. You're going to listen. You've got to listen. You've got to obey. You, you should expect to hear something from me. Listen, listen, this, this is good. If Jesus is going to be Lord, then I should always be expecting to hear something from him and expect to do something for him. He's wanting both those to take place. That's what a disciple is. He's a student. I think about Peter. Uh, example again of Peter and he's fished all night and Jesus comes up and he says hey let out your nets on the other side of the boat for a catch and Peter looks at him and says Lord he says Lord with his mouth we fished here all night what's he doing he's arguing with the Lord he says we fished here all night but then he goes but because you say so I will he hears what Jesus says and he says when it comes down to it because you say so Okay, I will. And what happens? Oh boy. What's that? Is that a Captain D's commercial where the fishtail goes, tch, 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 hits him in the face? And you can see Peter pulling up. I've done net fishing. You pull up that net and the fish break out of the surface and bam, 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 they're flying everywhere. And he, I can just see him getting hit, hit, hit in the face. And, he, and he's excited and they're pulling in the boat. Look at all the fish. And then it hits him. Yeah, look at all the fish. And he's looking at, looks up at Jesus. And I just imagine Jesus smiling. Not because of all the fish, because Peter obeyed him. He's pleased by that. And, and you can just imagine, and Peter, the Bible says, Peter goes, Lord, get away from me. I'm a, I'm a sinful man. What's Peter saying? I don't always do what you say. I fight it. You said it was let down the net for a catch. You promised there'd be some fish there, and I just didn't trust you there. I didn't really trust you there. I call you Lord, but you know, and yeah, when I finally did trust you, then this big blessing happens in my life. I just think about I just think about that story, and how sometimes you just need to trust the Lord and do it anyway even if it doesn't make sense, even if you don't know what the outcome's going to be, just, I'm just going to do it anyway. And I just think it's great that Jesus gave Peter time to work through that. 
initially, I'm not going to do it. That's stupid. You know, you're a carpenter. I'm a fisherman. I have more experience. I know what I'm talking about. What do you know? And then he realized, wait a minute, you're Lord because you say so. He goes from arguing to obeying. And because of that, Jesus is pleased. And Peter is pleased too. He's blessed because of it. And why do we argue with Jesus all the time? Well, if we just admit, go, you know what, Lord? You said it. I'll do it. Let's see what happens. You know, I notice in this passage here, uh, this guy, and again, uh, he's building this house. It says he dug deep. Not, not only should I expect to hear something from Jesus and expect to do something, I'm going to have to expect to work hard at this. This isn't going to be, it's not natural. You know, you, it says he dug deep. And I've dug holes. Uh, I got to admit to you, I, when we were growing up on a farm, we'd have a lot of chickens and turkeys and animals die and we were on the burial detail. I did a lot of animal funerals when I was a kid. And I remember we'd dig a hole and the first time we dug a hole, we dug it deep. And after about five or six chickens or a couple of turkeys or a couple of pigs, I remember one time we dug and one of the feet was sticking out. We, we gave up. It was too hard. You know, you want to obey Christ? You need to expect some difficulty. There's going to be some resistance. When you're trying to get to bedrock and you're trying to get to rock, which is hard, you, you need to expect some difficulty. Expect that you're going to have to keep at it. You're going to have to persevere. You're going to get pushback from people. You're going to get pushback from yourself, from your family, from your emotions, from your body. You're going to get pushback saying, you know, give up. Stop this. You don't have to do this. But, you know, the people who have an obedient life, they persevere. I want to encourage you. Persevere. Dig a little deeper. Dig a little deeper because when you do, you'll soon find a great blessing. Again, it's tempting, it's tempting to look for the easy way, the quick fix, the cut the corner, less work. But when you surrender, you surrender all that to Jesus. When you say, I'm going to trust you as Lord. You don't let that fear or that doubt or your pride or even your laziness affect your obedience. You go, you know what, Lord, you say it, I'm going to try it. I mean, think about it. Peter was tired. All night I fished, but I'll do it anyway. Let's see what happens. So he says, if you're going to obey me, come near me, listen, obey, expect some pushback, but trust me. Trust me as Lord. And the second thing he says to us is this. I notice in this passage, I trust Jesus with the outcome. If I really want, if I really want to build a life of obedience, I just need to do it anyway and let him, you know, let him deal with the consequences. You know, a lot of decisions I make, I'm sure you find this true. When you, before you make them, you're asking yourself, well, what's going to happen to me? What's in it for me? You know, well, how will it affect me? And Jesus knows that. He understands that. That's a, that's, a, that's a fair question. What's going to happen if I do this? And he, and, and he wants you to know what will happen. He will bless you is what's going to happen. Again, look at the contrast here in Luke 6. When the floods came, he says, the water tried to wash the house away. This is the one the wise man built. But it could not, it could not shake it because the house was built well. But the, but the one who hears my words and does not obey is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. When the floods came, the house quickly fell 
and was completely destroyed. Notice the blessing. Something good, something wonderful when you obey, something tragic when you disobey. It says when the floods come, not if they come, when the floods come. What's he talking about? Well, you talk, I think about floods, I think of two things. I think about things that happen on this earth, you know, natural disasters, you know, things that, things that come at us. Um, I think about the flood of 93 and 2007, you know, last year, remember that long flood we had, you know, and, and how it just destroys things. Sure. And we have, when we have, we face disasters or tragedy or hardship or tough things in our life. And, he, and, he, and it's possible he's talking about that. I have no problem with that. But I'll tell you, when I think of a flood, I think of Noah's flood. I think of judgment. He's talking about judgment here. Obviously, he's talking, that, that's included. And the thing is, see, <clears throat> the thing that I want you to see is, you and I, we are responsible for our disobedience. That'll be laid at our feet. You're responsible for your disobedience, and I'm responsible for mine. But can I tell you something else? Jesus is responsible for your obedience. What do you mean, Tim? I'm saying that Jesus says, let me take responsibility. You, you, you obey me, and I'll take responsibility to make sure you're blessed when you obey me. In other words, trust me with the outcome. And when you just say, you know what, I'm just going to do this anyway. I'm going to do this. I don't understand, Lord. I don't, I don't understand how this is going to work. I don't have to understand how this is best for me, but I believe you love me. I believe you, you know what's best for me, and I'm going to do this anyway, and I'm going to trust you with the consequences and the outcome. And when you do that, tell you what, building an obedient life like that, you receive the best from God. You may, now, it doesn't mean the storms don't come. It doesn't mean you don't get frightened every once in a while. It doesn't mean you don't go through difficulty and hardship. Oh, afterwards. After that, you come out. You come out much better. Much better. Look what the Bible says here in Psalms 112, verse 1. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying His commands. In verse 7 and 8 it says, They do not fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to care for them. They're confident. Listen, they're confident and fearless and can face their foes triumphantly. It says they confidently trust the Lord to take care of them. Why? Because God promises good. He promises blessing for those who obey. Like Isaiah says, when you're faithful and obedient, you will uh, enjoy the best of the land. Like Deuteronomy 28, and read Deuteronomy 28, God lists all the things that He'll do if, if, if His people will only trust Him and obey Him. Joshua 1 he, he tells Joshua, don't turn to the left, don't turn to the right. And if, you'll, if you will follow me and obey me, I will grant you success. You want success? Obey the Lord. He promises success when you obey the Lord. So let me ask you a question this morning as we close. How are you doing when it comes to obeying Jesus? How's that working? What area in your life have you isolated where Jesus is not Lord. You know, you say, well, I, I, He's Lord here, and He's Lord here, and He's Lord here, but uh, here, this is my own little private world. Let me encourage you to surrender it. Give it to the Lord. 
Let him be Lord of all. Because if he isn't Lord of all, he can't be Lord at all. And, and watch God bless your obedience. Because he promises to do that. Decide, decide to turn just to turn it all over to him and let him deal with the outcome. I guarantee you, he guarantees you from an empty tomb, he guarantees you that he'll bless you when you obey him. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you right now. And Lord, we may not understand everything that you do. <clears throat> we may not even like it. Um, and, and I know sometimes uh, we're, we're going to suffer at some point as we obey you. We may, we may have difficulty doing what you say, but we want you to know, Father, we're going we're gonna to obey you anyway. We're going to leave the outcome to you because, because we trust you and because we love you. Father, we choose to obey you because we know that you will only do what is best for us. And because we believe that, we know you'll transform every circumstance of our life. And it'll be for good. And it'll be because of, of, of uh, your response to our obedience. And Father, we're just so grateful that you, t you take a personal interest in us and, er and every, every, everybody that's listening, every one of your children. Thank you for being so good, so gracious and kind. Father, we would love to have a little peek of what the future holds as a result of being obedient to you. But we're, what we realize, Father, you're not going to show us all that. You want us to trust you and to live it out and to experience these blessings every day. So help us, Father, if we're afraid. For those of us, Father, that doubt. Father, uh, soften our stubborn heart. Strengthen a weakness that we have. Father, uh, create, create a passion in our lazy bones. Draw, help us draw close to you and, and deal with the distance sometimes, Father, or the ignorance that we face that keep us from obeying you. We want you to know, Father, we come to listen and obey your Son, Jesus. And we do this because you are our Lord. And just want you to know that, Father, this morning. We make that commitment in the name of Christ. Amen.